0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside Indy Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxie, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. We told you last week about Dead Soxie's score sale. Now it's time to take advantage of it. Because Notre Dame scored 44 points against UNLV, Dead Soxie is offering a 44% discount on all purchases at DeadSoxy.com. So head to the website and use promo code LUCKY to get 44% off your purchase. If you want Dead new Navy and Gold line, you can head to DeadSoxy.com and select Team Colorways under the Collections tab on the website to see all the latest options. If you use the color filter and select Navy Blue, I think you'll like the options you see. But you can also use the promo code for their stylish dress socks or their casual no-show socks there are just so many options, and they're all very comfortable. Once again, use promo code LUCKY at deadsoxy.com to get 44% off your purchase. This deal expires Saturday at noon before the Syracuse game. I really love how much the folks at DeadSocksy are thinking about our inside ND sports community, so make sure you take advantage of this deal to help show our appreciation. Notre Dame didn't quite blow out UNLV, but it was the most comfortable Irish win in a month going back to the North Carolina game. Comfort won't be an option for the Irish the next couple of weeks. The Irish start a two week gauntlet on Saturday with a road trip to number 16 Syracuse before hosting number five Clemson the following week. Notre Dame's coaching staff and talent will be tested as the Irish try to give recruits more reasons to come to Notre Dame. To discuss the talent on Notre Dame's roster and the talent on the way in its recruiting class, we reached out to our old friend Tom Lemming, longtime recruiting analyst and publisher of the Prep Football Report. Tom, thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Tyler.
0: Tom, before we get into recruiting, I just wanted to take a step back and talk about Notre Dame season. What has been your biggest takeaway from the way the Irish have played this season, this season so far?
1: Obviously a bit inconsistent. I think the defense is okay. Maybe give them a a C plus uh, for most of the way. Um, The big, I think, question is obviously quarterback play. Um, Watching their games the last couple of weeks i noticed um the other teams were almost daring notre dame to throw the ball so they were stacking the middle and were uh, you know definitely set to stop the run and just until notre dame proves themselves as passers at least especially on the uh on the uh peripheral they have to uh to me just uh keep working on getting the wide receivers open and hitting more downfield passes right now. I think, uh, their offense looks like they try to run the ball, but also just a little short, uh, to intermediate passes, which can only go so far when you got a talented defense.
2: Tom, you have, you know, you know Steve Angeli a lot better than any of us. I mean, we saw him in some practices in August and, um, but, but you saw him play in high school. You saw a lot of film of him. What's your assessment of his skill set and, you know, just kind of based on the competition he played and everything else? I guess you haven't, you know, seen practice, but how ready do you think he would be to go in a game and be able to be competitive?
1: Um, he plays against very good competition. That's one of the top Catholic leagues in the country in North Jersey and Bergen Catholic, very well coached by uh, Vito Campanelli. Uh, so they do play against good competition in high school. When I did see Steve since his freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, some all those years, uh, he's a great kid. Always wanted to play for Notre Dame. Athletic ability is good. He's got decent size. He's not the dynamic quarterback that you're kind of looking for. Uh, at least Notre Dame fans are but he's got, I think that he's competent. And I do think that um, possibly has a higher ceiling than Drew Pine does. And it's just a matter of them having confidence in him to come in and play if something happens to Drew Pine, which almost did last week. Running, you got to be a little bit afraid. He's not the runner that Tyler Buckner is. And Tyler got hurt and Drew looked like he might've been hurt a couple of times. He's not a big guy. He's about 5'11". So um, I know they're They hold their breath every time he runs the ball. But again, that adds another dimension to his offense. His arm strength is average uh, at best. And I do think that uh, running the ball for him, it could be a a, a lifesaver if he's capable of, um, you know, uh, I I would say doing the complete, being the complete quarterback, which would be uh, completing many more downfield passes than he has in the past
0: Tom, at one point, and and we're talking like five years ago now, when when Drew Pine was a sophomore in high school, you had him as the top twenty twenty quarterback in the country. Why do you think he hasn't reached the potential that was seen in him as a
1: young high school player? Yeah, I went to see him as a freshman, and he was dynamic. Um, It doesn't look like he's improved that much. hasn't, you know, I mean, hasn't really grown. I don't know if that's his fault or the coaching fault. But when I saw him when I went to New Canaan, I had gotten a tip from former Notre Dame quarterback Terry Henry about this great quarterback out in that area. So I I drove to the high school and saw him and I thought he'd grow a little bit more, too. But he's the exact same size as he was as a freshman, added a few extra pounds, but still about 5'11". So I was projecting back then, which I do every year. And um, thinking he might be a one or 6'2 guy right now, but he's not. And I think that comes into play with some of the passes that he's getting batted down when he stands in the pocket. So I would have to say that for him to have success, he's got to roll out a lot more and, and then just have pinpoint passing, which he does not have yet. I'm not, I'm not trying to knock him that much. He's still, you know, but for Notre Dame, he's probably not up to where they expect their quarterback to be. And uh, again, it, it's maybe uh, he reached his ceiling as a freshman in high school, or maybe he's not getting the kind of coaching that uh, can bring him up to that next level.
2: Tom, I know that uh, we have in our question queue, somebody asking, how can teams like Wake Forest and these other teams have top flight quarterbacks and Notre Dame not. So instead of kind of maybe looking back, let's spin to how to fix this. Is there a fix in 2023? Do you think, Notre Dame can flip. Let me give you the three scenarios. Do you think A, they can flip somebody in the next under 60 days? B, um, uh, should they have CJ Carr reclassify if he's up to it? And the third option is the portal. If you were kind of running the show, what would be your most likely scenario? What would you want to do?
1: Well, right now it'd probably have to be the portal. I I was talking to CJ last week and he doesn't seem to uh excited about reclassifying. And, and then also Notre Dame's going to, they, they have been good in the past stealing other people's quarterbacks, which is also a sort of a backhanded compliment to Notre Dame because they would always strike out on other quarterbacks that are going after. Ian, Ian Book was a Washington State commit. um are three quarters before that uh, were all uh, commitments, one to Penn State, one to North Carolina. Goldson was North Carolina and Brandon Wimbush was Penn State so that meant Notre Dame really wasn't putting a lot of emphasis on the recruiting back then that's that's a mark on coach Kelly who should realize that you win big time games and national titles with great quarterbacks and Notre Dame has not had great quarterback play in a long long time you could maybe point out uh, Brady Quinn for a little bit Jimmy Clausen, but they weren't guys that let them or even close to national titles um, so uh, I think You look at Wake Forest, that quarterback could have been had by Notre Dame if they went after him and realized him. But you don't know if they would have developed him the way Wake Forest has developed him or North Carolina developed their quarterback uh, in Notre Dame for the same quarterback there. But they're still Notre Dame. They can normally get big-time quarterbacks if they work at it. But again, it has to be like a two-year process now. it's got to identify them as sophomores. Say, this guy's a great quarterback, which they did at C.J. Carr. And um, you work on him for two years. I think the difference now is Marcus. Marcus is a great recruiter. The kids believe in him. They love him. They love talking to him. And I think that did help with Dante more. And I don't think Notre would have lost Dante that much, except obviously the NILs stuff into play.
2: Okay. So, Tom, if, uh, you know, somebody on our Insider Lounge board I was just chatting with, they said – you know Notre Dame doesn't have the track record of putting quarterbacks in the pros. They don't have a ton of wide receivers in the pros. And they have offensive linemen and tight ends. How does Marcus sell the future to to people when there's not that track record at those two positions? Not a not a real strong track record, anyways.
1: That's where you come in where evaluating skills like uh, Sam Hartman would have been a guy they could have looked at and said, this guy could be pretty good. Although, I don't know about the track record. Didn't uh, Dan overleski say they had they were one of the top five on producing NFL quarterbacks? <laughs> I don't know what he was. I don't know what he's drinking, but uh, obviously not. But I, I do think that... Um, <laughs> Uh, there's ways around it, Eric. There's definitely ways around it. There's a lot of great, there's always 20 quarterbacks out there that are great athletes that can throw and run together. Some, maybe not as polished as others. Um, the Quarterback now with the Kansas city chiefs was not that polished when I went and so saw him in Texas. That's the reason why he wound up at Texas tech, but you saw that athletic ability. You got nowadays in college, you got to have guys that can run and throw. It's really important. Uh, the hooker kid out of um, Tennessee and, well, I saw him in high school. He was great coming out of North Carolina and then um, went to Virginia Tech wasn't developed and everybody thought he was a massive failure and he wasn't. He just had to be developed. And that's a key thing in quarterback. Uh, you got to develop a lot of guys. But also, I think uh, to answer your question in recruiting, you always you never go after just one guy. You go after maybe top 10 then you narrow it down to maybe three guys that you're going after because you can never trust. Uh, the ball player even if he's committed he might switch and there was talk that maybe Dante Moore was silently committed and Notre Dame had cut uh away all the other quarterback. because when I saw Jackson Arnold in late December I thought Notre Dame was the leader but then they really stopped talking to him and he wound up going to Oklahoma then now they've tried to get him back but it's too late you never cut uh, cut bait really until uh, you've got one guy signed and that's what you follow Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson or Georgia, or USC. They do that all the time. There's always going to be a backup. And uh, with Notre Dame, they have never really had back, backup. So if they lose a guy, then they've got to go after other schools' players. And that's not a good approach to recruiting. you got to have your own list. you got to work on them. And I think when Marcus Freeman there and Chad Bowden, I think that's going to be happening now. They're going to have a good list every year, starting with CJ Carr. It's unfortunate they did not do that this year, but they've learned their lesson. And I believe starting with 2024, 20, uh, the class of 2024. I think Notre Dame every year will be bringing in a top-notch quarterback.
0: Yeah, Tom, so speaking of C.J. Carr, what what kind of talent is he? How special of a quarterback is C.J. Carr?
1: When I saw him a couple weeks, he's uh, and I've seen him a few times this year, he's a legit 6'3 kid. He's got good height. He's got a very good arm. He's a coach's uh, son and um, I think that and, – and grandson – And I just think he he brings that extra element, too. He can run. He's not a 4-4 guy, but when you watch him on film, he can run himself out of trouble, run for plush yardage. He can hit moving targets while on the run. Uh, I think he brings an awful lot to the game. Plus, he's a cerebral quarterback who just seems to get better with every game. And I do like uh, his potential. And He's a five-star quarterback in high school. And I do think that um, he could be the answer. However, you don't want to wait two years. So they, they're going to have to go after someone in the transfer portal. And hopefully if they do the research and they do a lot of this work, and, and I do know that um, there's a lot of guys uh, that will be transferring and you got to find the one that fits your program, but also one that has great athletic ability that you can actually teach and, and make them maybe better. Obviously the reason transferring is because he's not playing a whole lot. That's normally the reason. So you got to get a guy that maybe you could bring out a little bit more that the other team hasn't done. And you see that happen time and time again over the last two years. So hopefully Notre Dame could pull that off.
2: Tom, um, if you're a 2023 guy that Notre Dame's trying to flip, let's say Avery Johnson out of Kansas, who's um, committed to Kansas State, why would you go to Notre Dame when you know CJ Carr is right behind you? I mean, don't you think that that's, A little bit of a distance disincentive to to pop in there and and change where maybe there's a clearer path at Kansas State
1: well yeah but you know there is a a ball players and a lot of quarterbacks especially have you know an awful lot of confidence in their own ability and plus they get a year up on CJ Carr Uh, Avery when I saw him uh, last fall was definitely looking hard at Notre Dame but then they just with them too early now they're trying to get back they seem to scramble a lot for the quarterback position and that's not a, like i said not a healthy way to recruit uh hopefully they've learned their lesson but Avery's a great athlete. he's that type of guy that can really develop he's not there yet but boy, he's got a tremendous ability he can run he can throw he's got a very good athlete and he's going to put on weight when i saw him he's kind of skinny so in another year or two he could be a big star but again to answer your question they're going to have to also think, yeah, maybe C.J. Carr is coming a year behind me. If I got the confidence maybe to win the job, because it looks like right now the job would be open next year. So why not go after it and jump on it? Uh, again, it comes down to the confidence of the ball, playing the ability of the quarterback coach at Notre Dame, Tommy Reese, to talk him into it. And so we'll just have to wait and see. But he's along with um, Chris Visani. And Jackson Arnold, those are the three quarterbacks they cut loose months ago, and now they're trying to scramble again. Never should have cut those three guys loose, even if Dante had given a silent commitment. In the the world now of NIL, nobody's ever a sure thing until signing day, and sometimes even after signing day.
0: (laughs) Tom, one more quarterback question for me. We've talked about Drew Pine and Steve Angeli. What what kind of potential do you still think Tyler Buckner has as a quarterback? Obviously, unfortunately, ended his season with an injury. But do you still think he could be a good to great quarterback in the, at the college level?
1: I think he can, and I think it'd be a very good one. I don't think it'd be a great one, but he's so injury prone. He got hurt in high school a lot, and then he got hurt. I think walking downstairs at Notre Dame, and then he got mm-hmm. and be, and, is, uh, and he's inclined to run a lot, which means also the way he runs, especially in a Notre Dame offense where they're daring you to pass. So these guys are all piled up to run. So when he runs he has a bigger chance of getting hurt because there's a lot more guys uh, coming after him than there would be if he had a good passing game and could spread the defense out a little bit and have as many guys chasing him. So I do think that the question mark has always been his passing ability, his arm strength and ability to maybe throw the deep out with authority and also run, uh, hit moving targets while running instead of bouncing the ball in front of him or like in Drew Pine's case, throwing him 20 yards over their heads. So I do think that there is a, a chance that he could be a very good quarterback. But um, they got to work with him and they got to keep developing from game to game and day, day to day and game to game. And, um, you know, it's it's hard to say. None of the guys ever get better at Notre Dame. Ian Book didn't get a whole lot better. He kept thinking he was going to be a Heisman candidate as a junior. Heisman candidate as a senior. He was always good, but never got better. Um, Jerkovic got better once he left and went to Boston College. Uh, the one kid who went to, uh, from Virginia who left and transferred never got better. Dupine hasn't gotten better either. So they've got to work on maybe the development a little bit more than uh, along with recruiting maybe better all-around athletes.
2: Tom, I um, before we started recording the podcast, you and I were talking privately, and you mentioned that you had had a conversation with Peyton Bowen that he expressed that he is going to come up for the Clemson game it seems like he's had an eye out for, you know, Notre Dame has been a placeholder, not a commitment for him since he gave them his commitment. What do you think the chances are that he ends up signing in a couple of months and how good of a player is he?
1: He's a good poker player. Cause when you talk to him, you don't get much of responsive and I've been doing this for years. So I could normally throw things out to get things, talk about Oregon, talk about AM, talk about Oklahoma, um, one good thing, you know, people are saying, well, the way Notre Dame's playing, he won't want to go there, but they're playing better than Oklahoma and Texas AM. and m So <laughs> uh, all things being equal, it'll come down once again to NIL money. Um, he seems to have a good relationship with Drake Bowen and uh, no relation, but they've been talking a lot. And Drake Bowen thinks that he'll still stay at Notre Dame. I think at best 50-50. But I do think that once he gets on campus and Marcus talks to him in person and they work on him and O'Leary's done a very good job as a safety coach recruiting him. I do believe that um, they're still, they still got the commitment now. Uh, Although we saw that happen with Akili where he was still committed, but all the talk was he was heading out to uh, Alabama for more NIL money. And I think uh, hopefully um, for Notre Dame's sake that they wind up getting paid. And it all come down to the Clemson game and, Uh, how well, and I know they're going to roll out the red carpet. Chad Bowden's done a great job of developing uh, the recruiting uh, organization there at Notre Dame. And uh, you can see You can see a night and day difference between this year and maybe two years ago. So who knows Um, right now, I would say 50, 50 at best.
0: Tom, it's pretty clear that Notre Dame's offense. Sort of lacks playmakers at the wide receiver position. Um, and that has been addressed in this recruiting class, the 2023 recruiting class with some of the receivers in it, whether it's Rico Flores, um, Braylon James, um, Jaden Greathouse. And then they also have a lot of running backs who could also maybe play receiver, whether it's Dylan Edwards or Jeremiah Love. How group or how good is this group of skill position talent that Notre Dame has in the 2023 class outside of the quarterback position?
1: outstanding the wide receiver coach tucky night and day difference between the last couple of wide receiver coaches has done a great job and uh, I, i've been very impressed with the texas receivers rico flores out in california all of them i had seen in person and sat with them and watched them on film at their high schools great house won two state titles in one year that's how good he is and uh, he's a good sized kid None of them are Blazers, though, and super fast, um, but they do, you know, they've got enough speed to spread the defense out a little bit, and I do think guys like Loren, they, they'll complement Lorenzo Styles. and they've got some good guys on campus now, that just that Drew Pine has had trouble reaching them, which, again, is the reason why sometimes the running game doesn't get going, because when you got eight guys in the box, it's awfully tough to uh, have eight guys going up against five offensive linemen. But again, uh, the receiver group coming in is outstanding. Just like every other group, they got some very good tight ends, some great offensive linemen, some good running backs. They got very good linebackers coming in, and already as freshmen, and uh, I, and DBs. I, I just think that maybe another question mark would be the defensive linemen. Eric Persichan always said, "You start." your recruitment on the defensive line and Notre Dame they have good guys but no knockout guys I haven't seen Foskey looked real good the last game three ta- I think three sacks against uh, UNLV but the previous games I thought he was good but nothing special so I think he's got to pick up his game and they need more guys like that along the defensive line to win a national title but I don't think they're that far away I think once a couple of great defensive linemen And a quarterback that can really, you know, when you want to win a national title, look at all the past 20. It's always been the athletic quarterback that can not only throw but run and a guy that can excite the offense and make sure that the defense is on its uh, heels and not on its toes.
2: Last one for me, Tom, I know you're drive all over the place. Um, You have a trip, I believe, coming up uh, where you're going to go through, see somebody in Indiana, I think in Fort Wayne and then Ohio. And then Maryland and Virginia, when you are talking to these guys, has their impression of Marcus changed at all with the four and three start? Do they still feel like he's eventually going to be an elite coach and that Notre Dame is going to be a program that's playing in the playoffs on a, or at least competing to get into the playoffs on a regular basis?
1: Yeah, Marcus hasn't lost any of his luster yet. Uh, the kids are still in love with him, and they love his talking to him. They have nothing but high praise for him, and they all believe that he's going to turn things around. You know, once he gets, I think, his feet on the ground and he takes charge of a, a Notre Dame team that, when he got the job, obviously it was kind of uh, uh, hit and miss early because he didn't have enough time to get things going. But once he established, I know he's talking, though he said to his mentor, Jim Tressel about – how you got to take control of everything and make sure that everything's running because your name is the name on it. And uh, I do believe that uh, his recruiting has been nothing but outstanding over the past year. He seems to be everywhere. No matter who I talk to, he's already talked to them and, and I'm not, I'm just going out recruit watching recruits and talking to them. So I do think that the arrow is pointing North completely. And I do think that uh, most of the players believe that within two, three years, he's going to be in the national title hunt and they will get that quarterback that they want, and they will get the defensive lineman that they want.
0: Well, all right, Tom, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. You always have the recruiting insight for us, and uh, safe travels to your upcoming
2: trips across the country.
1: You too. Take care, Tyler and Eric. Uh, Good luck uh, for the next couple of weeks. Take care.
2: (laughs) All right, take it easy. As a reminder, the Inside Andy Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, maker of the best dress socks you'll ever wear with a patented technology with a no-slip guarantee made from bamboo for that premium luxury feel. And if you've been waiting for the right time to check them out, this week is your week. Notre Dame put up 44 points on UNLV, so our friends at Dead Soxy are giving you 44% off on all orders at deadsoxy.com. That's D E A D S O X Y.com. Use the promo code LUCKY and celebrate the Irish 44 points with some premier socks. The sale ends at noon on Saturday when the Irish kick off at Syracuse. Again, it's a great time to stock up on your own supply or get an early start on your Christmas shopping. Deadsoxy now has. Socks that sync up with your favorite team, the Navy and Gold Collection. You go to DeadSoxy.com, click on the Collections tab, and and select Team Colorways from the drop-down menu, and you'll see socks with blue and gold coloring with uh, shamrocks on them. They're pretty cool. But, again, that promo code is lucky for 44% off.
0: All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765 765- 587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at E. ND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from at Charles W. Wolf. On a scale of one to five, five being most concerned, how concerned should we be about Lorenzo Stiles' recent struggles?
2: I'm not particularly concerned, um, and I'm not sure that the, the One of the drops was definitely a perfect pass. The the one in the Stanford game, I, I wasn't sure that that was a great pass with the right touch on it. I'd say if you want me to put a number on it, I'll say a one and a half on a scale of one to five is my concern level. I think Lorenzo is a really, really good um, wide receiver. We haven't seen him at his best yet. You know, last year he was really good down the stretch. They need him to be good these next two weeks. These are Lorenzo Styles type type games because uh, they're going against some really good defenses, and and he's going to have to rise to the occasion. I think he will. Yeah, we are
0: far apart on this. I I I put mine at a four. Um, now maybe that's not fair to Lorenzo Styles that he needs to be sort of the number one receiver as a sophomore at Notre Dame, but that is what they need from him, and he has not been that more often than he has been that. Um, he hasn't been as reliable as you would think. He hasn't made as many explosive plays for this offense. Um, and I think in order for this offense to take the next step, it needs him to be that kind of a playmaker. Now, not not all of the issues and his inability to do that are on him. Some of it has to do with the quarterback play. Um, but he has been given I, I some, agree. He's I put it on g- the
2: quarterback's shoulders.
0: I don't think I put it all on the quarterback. So he's been given opportunities to make plays on the ball and has not done that in a number of uh, occasions. Uh, in addition to the the drops that he's had, so um, I think he needs to play much better. And is and is definitely capable of. that. I think when we when we see Drew Pine struggle, we sort of we kind of expect the ups and downs with Drew Pine. I, I don't think we expect this from Lorenzo Styles. Now, like I said, maybe maybe he's
2: shocked that the ball's coming to him.
0: Well, I don't. Th- I think that is uh, a a lazy and, and more of a joke excuse than an
2: actual real excuse. It is a joke excuse, uh, but I I I think he hasn't been targeted as enough, and and I think if he was, he would give you those opportunities. But uh, we'll see. All right, I think we're he going was to disagree on yeah, that. Yeah, I one. think
0: he was targeted plenty in the Stanford game, and he didn't he didn't make the plays needed to make. All right, next question is from at Coffee Dark Roast. Do you think the receivers and tight ends have a bad case of the drops? Michael Mayer bobbling the what would be a touchdown catch in the first quarter, Lorenzo Styles dropping the ball. Is this a practice-focused coaching issue?
2: Well, I'm afraid to answer it now because I'm going to be told it's a lazy answer. I mean, yeah, they could play better. I'm not concerned about Michael Mayer dropping a pass um, i don't I don't think it's a case of the drops, but I do think that when your quarterback is extremely accurate and you can count on where the ball's going to be, that uh, I think it's I think you get better play from your wide receivers. They're more focused. That's not an excuse for not catching every ball that comes your way, but I think when you can count on the accuracy, I think you tend to play at a higher level. and so i'm I'm not concerned and i wouldn't call it that they have a case of the drops i think you know they made some drops i don't i don't see it as a um as, as a situation that's not correctable
0: yeah i think given my answer to the previous question i think you it's obvious that i'm more concerned about styles um i think mayor makes so many catches that i give him a break if he if he misses misses one here or there um you know he's going to come through for you um and he catches ones that you don't think he should catch. uh. And also, when, also the, the, a big difference in my opinion is that when Michael Mayer drops a pass, no one's losing confidence in Michael Mayer. They're going to come right back to him. Drew Pine's not less confident in him. I think it's different when the receivers drop a pass, when their opportunities are so infrequent and their track record isn't as um proven that I think the doubt maybe creeps in both from the receiver perspective and from the quarterback perspective when those and from the play caller perspective um, when those when those drops happen. So um, Notre Dame needs to be sharp in all aspects of the passing game. If if Notre Dame wants to have a chance in in beating both Syracuse and Clemson these next two weeks. All right. Next question is from Rico Benes at Mike B. 95. How much of the blame for lack of offensive skill position talent is on Tommy Reese versus previous offensive position coaches? I don't understand how a school like Notre Dame could be this bear on offensive talent.
2: Well, there's kind of a blurry line there. I mean, mean, let's look at um, running backs. I think that Notre Dame has been able to recruit running backs. Now, how involved Tommy's been in some of the running back recruiting. I'm not sure but but if we're giving him an kind of an overseer grade go out and get these people, I think Notre Dame has targeted some good running backs. I think the running back talent are getting a lot of I mean they couldn't even get four and five star guys to visit for a while and they're signing those guys now. Um from wide receiver standpoint, I pin a lot of that on Dell Alexander uh from 2017 to 2020 uh there was a lot of recruiting swings and misses with him there was a lot of attrition uh via transfer during that time um and then just plain not developing players i mean there were some players like miles boykin that you swear by dell and felt felt like he did a good job but i think Toward the end, when Tommy got a little bit more involved in the wide receiver recruiting, we did see an uptick in terms of the quality of players signed. You know, the last class uh, that's now sophomores of uh, Styles, Jaden Thomas, and Deion Colsey, even though Dion hasn't come on and become that player that he was hyped to be coming out of high school. I mean, that was a pretty good prospect to get Tobias Merriweather was a very good prospect. They did lose a couple of wide receivers at the 11th hour with the coaching change. Um, you know, I, I think your your Nick could really be with Tommy Reese's what the quarterback roster looks like now because he has been involved in that um, since the 2018 recruiting cycle. So uh, I, I think certainly what I've seen out of Tommy Reese. In the last cycle, especially as Marcus has moved into the head coaching position, is he's setting his sights higher in terms of the players that they're going after. And again, this is a cycle where they've been able to get commitments from those guys. So uh, maybe the a change is starting, but but your observation about not having enough skill talent is well founded.
0: Yeah, and I mean the skill talent issues aren't at every skill position, like you like you mentioned. Um, it's mostly quarterback and receiver and Tommy Reese has to own the quarterback recruiting aspect of that. Um, I think he probably could have helped more with wide receiver recruiting too. So I I also like Brian Kelly shares the blame in this too. I don't think um, I've had this viewpoint for years now as someone who covered recruiting that I didn't think he pushed his coordinators enough in terms of owning uh, the recruiting uh, of their side of the ball. And it sort of came down to, depended who was in those positions in terms of what their determination was as a, as a recruiter. And so I I think that that maybe allowed Tommy Reese to maybe not be the most active or influential recruiter at positions beyond the quarterback position um, during his Notre Dame coaching career. And so I think that we've started to see that change. um, But obviously that, that change now isn't going to impact the talent that is on the current roster. So um, he, he, shares a lot of the blame and I don't think he would 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 run from that blame either but I think he also believes that they do have skill position talent that can make plays and that should be better than what they've been so far this season next question is from at cfb independence is it worrisome that the offensive coordinator gets excited about the intangibles work ethic and leadership qualities of a quarterback that should be a given any ability arm strength or accuracy or athleticism question mark. That wasn't really a question. So I make sure that's a clear clear that this that's a question. How can middling programs wake UCLA North Carolina have quarterbacks that sling it while Notre Dame does not.
2: Well, you know, I think you should be excited about all those qualities. I, I, I think intangibles do matter and, and certainly tangibles do. Um, so You know, I I asked Tommy, I I saved this answer, asked him, it was not this past summer, it was actually a couple summers ago, um, you know, how do you determine the intangible qualities of quarterback, And, and he did talk a lot about the physical qualities first, that there has to be measurable physical qualities, if you can't get past that point, then you don't even look at the intangibles, but I'll give you part of his answer, what he said about this. He said, everybody always talks about quarterbacks having the it factor. What's make, What makes the difference between Tom Brady and the other guys drafted ahead of him? At this level, where you start is with their physical abilities. There's a certain threshold. There's a certain threshold you're either above or you're not. Once you're above it, you're talented enough to play at this level. For me and our staff, we do a great job of looking at the intangibles. Because those aren't measured on film, Uh, those, those are not able to be measured in camps. So, one of the things he asked was, "Do they love a game of football?" And he gets talks about how he gets to the bottom of that. Um, you know, they. The other thing is they he wants to see how well they can retain things cognitively, so he kind of tests them, uh, teaches them a concept or two about a formation and takes a sheet away and see how well they can verbalize it back to them. Um, You know, he tries to go and talk to people at the school about the character, about the leadership and all that stuff. So I think there's a lot more layers to it than just three intangibles and three tangibles. Now, has Notre Dame done a great job of evaluating those things? I I mean... The jury's still out on Tyler Buckner. We haven't seen enough of him yet. Uh, with Drew Pine, I think, you know, even Tom Lemming had Drew ranked very high as a young high school player. And then as a college player, he's kind of high school size still. Um, so he didn't grow a lot. Um, you know, we think that he's done a good job of evaluating CJ Carr. He certainly, you know, a lot of people wanted Dante more. so... I don't know that it's evaluation or getting excited about the wrong things as much as it is the uh, the logistics of maybe putting too many eggs in one basket with recruits and and maybe, not maybe, earlier when he first got to Notre Dame, maybe not high, aiming high enough early, uh, establishing relationships with elite quarterbacks early. Um I think might have been a problem, but I think there's certainly been some improvement in terms of you know getting in with five stars talking to five stars and at least getting one committed or a high four star that could be a five star in c j carr
0: yeah i I you answered that pretty thoroughly so i I don't know that I have a lot to add in terms of the intangibles side of things I think those are qualities that matter and they're not a given um. I did it, Should they matter more than those other physical um, qualities? I don't think so, um, but I think they can be um, and, and maybe even should be what separates two quarterbacks of sil- similar talent level, and I think that's the parsing that Notre Dame tries to do with the high school recruits.
2: I think there's one thing on top of that for Notre Dame that may not be for every college is how you handle the Notre Dame experience, the expectations of being the Notre Dame quarterback, you know that that's something that you really got to measure. If you can handle all the scrutiny and the criticism, I don't know how much scrutiny and criticism Sam Hartman got at Wake Forest. Right. I remember Notre Dame playing against him when he was a young quarterback, and I thought, I don't know if this guy's going to amount to much here. Well, it took him a while, and he did. <laughs> right. But, but I again, I don't think he had the daily scrutiny that somebody like Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine's going to get and and um not everybody can handle that.
0: Yeah, I I I find it interesting this isn't the only time that we've been asked this by some uh, or this kind of a question by someone in, in recent weeks and where people are sort of cherry picking certain quarterbacks um and I think we talked about Hendon Hooker in the past like that those weren't guys that had success at their initially Um, and and like, from my perspective, like Sam Hartman and Dorian Thompson Robinson, those are like, those are the Ian books of those programs. Those guys have been through a lot. Now they're maybe peaking to a higher level in their, in their final seasons at their programs than maybe, that maybe Ian book didn't do. Um, but to compare like drew pine to those guys, like that's not, that's not a fair comparison. Like those aren't the same things that we're talking about now, obviously when you talk about Drake may at UNC, you're talking about a quarterback that hadn't played and has just stepped right in and played well Um
2: that he's a but, special but Phil Longo their offensive coordinator right has a track record of putting guys in the pros and having dynamic offenses when he was at Ole Miss he was like that in North Carolina so there's some there's some power there in recruiting where he can show that where right Tommy Reese doesn't have that track record at this point
0: yeah and I, I mean there are talented quarterbacks out there. Your Notre Dame has to find them, and you need to, to continue to develop them once you get them on, on campus as well. All right, next question is from at Summer John. I get not wanting to play Angeli if it's a tight game versus Clemson, but how do you not give him at least a series against UNLV? I know they scored late, but still he needs some real game experience.
2: Well, I, I think Marcus's dilemma there was when um uh, unlv knocked that down to a two score game he didn't feel like okay, what if you put Angelian at that point it's a three and out and unlv comes down and scores and makes it a one score game. I don't feel like he 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 felt like he could do that now Notre Dame ended up scoring with um Drew Pine handing off almost every. Uh, every down on that, I think there was one pass early in the series, and then technically the touchdown was a pass, it was like that jet sweep kind of thing that they do. Um, but it, you know, Angeli would have just been handing off. I, I would have liked to seen Steve Angeli get more time in that game, uh, but I understand why Marcus didn't, and now the window's probably closed until the Navy game. And even then it's such a limited possession game, unless you're up maybe two or three scores in a game like that. I don't think that you're going to see Steve Angeli and Tyler pointed this out on one of our other programs um, that once we get past a Navy game, then the urgency to play Steve Angeli kind of lessens because you don't have very many games left. Um, you have Boston college and USC and then whatever, uh is out there for the postseason but I, I sure would have liked to seen him in the UNLV game I agree with that yeah I mean
0: the the defense the defense has not helped Notre Dame been able to play Steve Angelia in, in its two lopsided victories against North Carolina and UNLV and that's that's unfortunate I I'm not of the mind to just force him in there I mean uh I said this on our Monday night live show that, but like if imagine if Steve Angeli goes in there and messes up like the, the wrath that that would come for that after you've lost games, you shouldn't have lost already to then put the UNLV game um, back in, in jeopardy. um, That would be a disaster for Notre Dame and way worse than the benefit of getting him in there for a handful of snaps in the fourth quarter, just given the circumstances. Yes. If they were able to keep a three touchdown lead, then, then get him in there but it just wasn't they weren't able to do that and so um the situation sort of dictated the way that the game played out um and sort of to the to what you ended on in terms of like there's not a lot of time left i've my question would be okay at this point since he hasn't been able to play what 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 are you salvaging by playing steve angeli is it do you need to figure out if he can be your starter next year? Is that what people need to feel like they need to know? Or or do you feel like he needs to play now in case he's needed at the end of the season? And at at that point, it's like, well, if, if he's lost for the, if if true Pines lost for the season, like, what are you really playing for anyways, you're just trying to win games. So how much is 10 snaps against UNLV going to make a difference at whether or not Steve Angeli can beat USC? I don't, I don't know that that's that's going to make a huge difference. So I, I understand the want to see him. Everyone wants to see the backup quarterback and get a, and, Make sure that he's prepared for it, but I'm not sure how much some of these snaps would make a, a true difference in what he w- is is able to do at the end of the season. If, if I'm sure, works. there
2: are some people that want to know if Steve Angeli's better. I'm right. not saying that's rational, but I mean there are, are some people that want to get a peek and say, "Hey, the six foot three kid, maybe he's he is a better option." I know that we're not advocating that, but right. There are also people
0: who thought Drew Pine should should have been named the starting quarterback to start this year. And now they probably don't feel that way either. So um, <laughs> I it, I was
2: not only told that he needed to be the starter. I was told I owed somebody an apology <laughs> for not saying
0: that. <laughs> How quickly perspectives change. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Notre Dame thought that Steve Angeli would be the difference in Notre Dame winning or losing games, I don't think that he would still be on the bench. So um, I, I guess just the... The reasoning behind like forcing him into the game, I guess, is sort of where where I'm at at this point of the season. It's like, okay, what what are, what are we trying to get at? If you get him playing him, I understand getting getting his feet wet is important to some extent, but not at the risk of um, putting him in a situation that he could maybe make worse. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Why does Tommy Reese keep running Chris Tyree through the tackles? He has serious speed. How about running outside or putting him in the slot? To your knowledge, do Harry Heastand or Dylan McCullough have any say in the run game plan?
2: I think the reason that they run Chris Tyree between the tackles is because they don't want to tip their hand on what they're going to do, although it seems like he gets a much steadier diet of that than than plays that you would think on the perimeter that would play to his strengths um and and they do put him in the slot sometimes but as Tyler's pointed out they haven't gone to that two running back look as much where they can you know over you know look over the defense and then put him in the slot or they can keep him in the backfield with the other back um maybe it didn't happen as much in the UNLV game because of Audric Estime's fumble and then they really were just using the two backs from that point forward but um, I do think there have been times where I've seen plays where I said, thought well, Chris Tyree probably could have expressed that better. Um, so um I, I can see your point there. As far as the input of Dillon McCullough and Harry He into the running game, I think Dylan has a say in which running back goes into the game at certain points, that he has an opinion about that or who's who's ready to play. And I think he helps with that. Harry, he stands actually the run game coordinator. Now, there's not time for them to all kibits and talk about what they should do before a play. But during the week when you're building a game plan and blocking seams and so forth, I'm sure that Harry has opinions about how they can get the best out of their running game. So I would think that he's got input, you know, Monday through Friday or Sunday through Friday, whatever the case may be.
0: Yeah, I don't think Harry Heestand came out of retirement to have no say in, in what's going yeah. on and just uh, doing what Tommy Reese is telling him to do. I, so uh, I know they're... they're and I just, think
2: Tommy wants his opinion.
0: Yeah, Tommy Reese absolutely values Harry Heastan's opinion. And I think if if people are trying to come up with a belief that that's not the case, I think that they just don't... They're just looking for more reasons to not like Tommy Reese. I think, that's, I think that's a being unfair... Um, if if that is sort of the perspective that is being creative that I don't know that has any basis
2: in reality. Right and Dylan is an aspiring head coach I mean he wants to be a head coach someday and he wants to be a coordinator and one of the reasons he didn't go with um, the New York Giants when he had the kind of 11th hour offer before it was official at Notre Dame was because he felt like there was a path that he was going to learn how to be a head coach here so uh, he certainly isn't putting duct tape over his mouth in meetings. Yeah. It's circling back to the Chris
0: Tyree usage, I, I think they can certainly use him more on the edge. Um, Notre Dame's tight end blocking isn't that great. So I think that limits that a little bit. Um, but I, they're certain that's not the only reason that, or that isn't to say that they can't find ways to get him on the edge more. Um, but like you said, like you can't just like use Chris Tyree strictly in that role because it would get pretty predictable pretty fast, and defenses would be prepared for it. And there's only so much you can do with your speed if if they know what's coming. Um, so I think that Notre Dame has to keep the defense honest, use Chris Tyree in multiple ways. I think there is potential there for him to run between the tackles if he gets the right crease. He could be through that hole and gone. And your speed is much better vertically than it is horizontally. That's that's more valuable. Um, so if you can find if you can find a running lane and get through there um, without taking a hit, then then that is an opportunity for some explosive plays. We haven't seen that yet, but I think that's what they're trying to create um, when they're running Chris Tyree in between the tackles. All right, last question is from at Coffee Dark Roast. Another one. From that person, is the defense still playing a Clark Lee 4-3 base defense? In hindsight, would you have changed to a 3-4 or a 4-2-5 over the summer after seeing the first six games? I feel like we have more athletic linebackers than big bodies up front.
2: Okay, Coffee Dark Roast. Um, They are playing a 4-3. I don't think there are a lot of the same concepts, principles, and terminology that there was with Clark Lee. We've gone through. You know the Marcus Freeman transition too, and that wasn't all that similar to Clark Lee, uh, other than it's a four-three defense. In terms of should they have gone to thirty-four or four-two-five, let's start with the thirty-four. I mean Al Golden, that's his bread and butter. You know, coming up, he was a thirty-four guy. I think you look at the roster, and I I disagree about them having the linebackers to play a 34 they have really good defensive linemen and they don't have you know their their defensive tackles are more defensive tackles they you know the only guy that's probably a true nose is maybe chris smith and he's he's
0: not even playing nose most of the time he's playing yeah and he's not even playing (laughs) nose.
2: so i don't i don't think they're built for that uh i think that they're using their personnel wisely uh, and as far as four two five, they play a lot of nickel. You know, t- uh, Tariq Bracey kind of forces that um, issue because he's been one of the best defensive backs, if not the best defensive back. It's just how they've matched up a lot of teams. So I think if we go back and count, and I don't know if you've done this, Tyler, I would say they're probably in nickel more than they have been in base this year.
0: Yeah, and it's not even close. They're, Notre Dame's running this nickel defense close to 70% of the time. Um so we can quibble over whether they're playing a four three or a four two five, but Notre Dame is playing essentially a four-two-five by playing its its nickel defense so so frequently. And and I I would sort of I think Clark Lee would consider his defense a four two five, although I think it's pretty similar to a four-three. It just depends on that third linebacker being a rover. Where, where
2: he had where Clark had the Trump card was Jeremiah Usu Koromoa. Right. Because he didn't have to play nickel if he didn't want to he didn't have to put they had that dime package with Kyle Hamilton when he was a freshman that was incredibly effective but Jeremiah Wusu could run with any slot receiver and so it was that that's what you're hoping Jalen Sneed turns into someday Um, you know they don't have you know Jack Kaiser isn't that kind of guy but Jack Kaiser can be a pretty valuable rover but you know you're going to take somebody, one of those linebackers off the field to put Tariq Bracey on a lot of the time.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, if you're, if you're, I I I'm in the camp with you that I I don't necessarily agree that they have more athletic linebackers than big bodies up front, but like if you were playing a three, four, so I guess that means you would be playing Maris, Leofile, Jack Kaiser Prince Kali and JD Bertrand all together. And then you, then you basically have no backups that so you couldn't really rotate. You have no backups. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe junior to Halamaka plays a little bit more in that situation. Um, and they're forced to try to find a role for Jalen scene. Obviously this would have been different. Um, if Bo Bauer remained healthy going into the season, but still that, that I don't, I don't see. And usually with the three, four those, those outside linebackers are pass rushers. Um, and, I'm not sure that any of Notre Dame's linebackers have really shown a great ability to be a
2: pass rusher. Now maybe you could use. Bertrand Jordan. surprisingly is the guy that gets home more than anybody. I thought Marist would be that guy.
0: Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe that would create more of a role for Jordan Botello um, as a, as a three, four outside linebacker that can rush the pass rush, the quarterback. Um, but Yeah, I I don't have a – I did think we would see more three-man front than we have this season. We haven't seen a lot of that. I did too, just based Um, on Gal Golden being the guy. Yeah, and trying to be more multiple, but um, I just don't know that the personnel sort of allows for that to happen, at least from their perspective. So that's why we've seen the defense play the way we've seen. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review and share our podcast feed with your mechanic. I hear mechanics really love the inside Indy Sports podcast. Uh, we keep uh, pumping out YouTube content for the video crowd. We did another stirring edition of Monday night live to recap the UNLV game. And we'll have our place your bets predictions for the Syracuse game on the inside Indy Sports channel on Friday. And we'll be back here next week to recap the Syracuse game and get ready for Clemson's return to South Bend. Until then, stick with insidendsports.com for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs.